Still not on? It's green. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. It's nice to look out at a congregation and know some people. We are so grateful, grateful to be a part of TCF, uh, privileged to be called TCF missionaries, um, grateful for the friends and family we have here and the way you support us in prayer and finances and have so for more than 30 years. <laughs> so that's incredible. Grateful for our friendship with Linda, too. Glad we're having a Somehow or another, we had a little bit of part in that in the early beginnings. I know she's far surpassed us in, in travels, but uh, <laughs> I want to thank you. Not for that. I also want to thank you this morning for giving me a sermon topic. My name will be great among the nations. You know, a lot of places I go, I can recycle sermons, but I, I've been here too many times. <laughs> Let me start with a couple of stories. Clarice was a young woman uh, raised in a non-practicing Catholic home. When she was a teenager, she decided to uh, move in with her boyfriend. She had a couple of children. She was uh, living in the country of Burkina Faso. It wasn't very long that she discovered that her husband was an alcoholic. Not her husband, her live-in boyfriend. And uh, he would spend most of the money that they could come up with. She had a hard time feeding their two children. And he would often beat her. One day he beat her so badly and he left the house and he says, if you're here when I come back, I'm going to kill you. She felt forced at that time to flee her husband. She went to live with her cousin, Noelle. Now, Noelle knew her all this time, and every time she would be beating, beaten by her husband or she didn't have money to feed her children, Noelle would try to help her out a little bit, even though she didn't have much either. And when she went to uh, stay with Noelle for after, after this last time, she was just crying and trying to decide what to do, and she said, Noelle, what am I going to do with myself, with my life, with my children? Noelle was a Christian. Noelle said, well, first thing you need to do is get your life right with God. And she led her to the Lord. And she said, after that, God can work the rest of it out. And he has. God has worked the rest of it out. Today, Clarice is a tremendously joyous Christian. She laughs and giggles all the time. She, she has a good job today. She has custody of her children. God is taking care of her. She came to the Lord, the witness of a Christian relative. One more story. Madame Borre uh, didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, one day... She had a dream, and in this dream, she saw a Bible falling down from heaven, and she picked it up, but she couldn't read it, because she didn't know how to read. And when she woke up, she asked uh, one of her friends, what do, you, what do you think this means? And the 
friend says, I don't know, but maybe it means you need to become a Christian. And she thought about it, but uh, didn't do much about it. And then um, she developed this, uh, some sort of uh, sickness in her stomach. She had pain uh, in her abdomen. And she went to the doctor, and what the medicines the doctor gave her didn't help her any. And uh, so she went to the, medicine, the local doctor, the medicine man, and asked, got the incantations or whatever that uh, she needed there, and it didn't help her. Then she had another dream. And in this dream, God came and cut her open and cleaned out all the infection. She, the next day, she went and found some Christians. They prayed for her, and she was healed. She started going to that church, and the pastor of that church led her to the Lord and later married her. And these were two of our students at the seminary where we teach. Let me just pause just a moment. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit burdened this morning by our, our nation, uh, Cote d'Ivoire. Um, don't know whether you've been following the, the news. It hasn't made your national news yet, I don't think. But um, uh, recently, the president didn't like the way the um, Electoral Commission was going. It's an independent Electoral Commission. So he disbanded the commission and disbanded the entire government, uh, dissolved the entire government, who, you know, you just don't think that kind of thing can happen, but it can. And um, since he has done that, uh, there has been demonstrations all over the country, and uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, some of the uh, government forces, where there is no government, but the president's forces opened fire on some of the demonstrators. So there's, there's been some deaths and um, so we need to pray for Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, when I look at it in the natural, I see no solution. Um, well, that doesn't mean God doesn't have one. So we need to pray for them. Lord, I want to ask you this morning to be with our brothers and sisters in Cote d'Ivoire, with the ministries there that are trying to serve you in the midst of this chaos for those who have very little hope of having a just society. And I pray, Lord, that you would enter into that situation and show them how to live for you. Show them how to be Christ in the midst of conflict. Pray this morning that you would bless this message, whatever I have to share, and whatever you can give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know you probably sent your best speaker upstairs to speak with the children. <laughs> I'm very much aware that it's a lot easier to speak to adults than children. If, if you get bored, you'll just fall asleep. If they get bored, I can guarantee you they won't fall asleep. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's, let's take a little, book, a little bit of a look at Malachi. Now, the problem with Old Testament messages is that you can't really get the, get the message without getting the book, and it's hard to preach on four chapters. But don't worry, you know, in Africa, we can go two or three hours, and nobody pays any attention, but not true, not true. 
Um, your verse comes from Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. I'll skip down to verse 12. But you profane it. That's a lot of the message of the whole book. The but you profane it part. God's name will be great. Now, when I, when I read that and I say God's name will be great, I'm thinking, how could it be any greater? You know, what's your name? God. You know, I mean, you know, how can you get any better than that? <laughs> but when it talks about God's name being great, we're talking about the, God's reputation in this world. His name great among the nations. But the nation of Israel was profaning it. How were they profaning it? By hypocrisy. And you got several instances of it in this, uh, in this book. In fact, in the verse uh, just before this, verse 10, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 10, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors, please. How would you like God to come in and say, Oh, I wish someone would shut the doors of this place. I don't think he's going to do that. But that's the state of the nation of Israel at this time. God just wishes the doors would be shut. His reputation is being ruined by his people. You got a little bit further, chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Words that we just say, but it doesn't mean anything. It wearies the Lord. Another, uh, in, in chapter 3 and verse 18, it's talking about after God does something. But he says, uh, uh, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. That means before God does what he's doing in, cha- in this book, they couldn't see any difference between those who serve God and those who do not between the righteous and the wicked. There was no distinction. And so God's name is profaned. Now, you know, often when we say, don't, you know, don't profane the name of the Lord, we're thinking of cussing or something like that. But basically, profaning God's name just means making God like one of us. Not any better than us. And if the people of God don't live lives that are any better than anybody else's, we profane God's name. Um, So this book has several different subjects, a lot of ethical issues and so forth that it deals with, and I'm not going to have time to deal with all of that this morning, but I want to give just kind of a brief overview, and I'm going to leave it to you to study it. I think people here study their Bibles and um, a lot of churches, I tell people to put my prayer card on their television so they'll be sure and see it and pray for me. <laughs> and I noticed Bill told you to put it in your Bibles. Good sign. That's a good sign. <laughs> Chapter 2. Uh, the, pro- the prophet talks about marriage and family. And uh, talks about the wife that you choose, the spouse that you choose that it not be a wife that worships other gods. 
uh, to choose the right spouse is a very important decision. And then what does he want from, from that, that, that union of, of those? It's, it's godly children, godly offspring. I know that's a tremendous emphasis uh, in this church uh, that you, you go over and over again. And how many of us wish you know, that there were more godly offspring? And I know uh, not all of it depends on us. A lot of it does, but not all of it, all of it does. Our children make decisions as well, and it grieves some of us uh, that are here, and I, I grieve, grieve with you. Um, uh, just one little comment, and you've probably heard this before from this pulpit, but I want to repeat it because it's in that passage. God says, I hate divorce. And some people misread that and say, I hate divorced people. And that's not the case. Um, God doesn't hate anyone. He hates divorce because what it does to people. Um, the pain that it causes. Uh, I didn't have any experience of that until I got married, and my wife's grandparents and her parents, the people you know, Dean and Nelda, that's uh, her, her uh, stepfather is Dean. Uh, but uh, they had been in through divorces in their family. There's four, four generations of divorces in her family. And you just see the pain and suffering that's just repeated generation after generation upon the parents and the children and so forth. That's why God hates divorce, because of all the pain it causes. Anyway, that's an aside. But God wants our families, our family life, to bring praise to him, to cause his name to be made great. We had a woman come to our church in France, uh, Elizabeth Tishabi. And she came for a couple of Sundays, and then she, she asked if she could come see us, uh, you know, and have an appointment. She says, do you do that kind of thing in Protestant churches, you know? And, and so we said, sure. And she came to the house, and she started talking. She had two little children, uh, Roma and Guillaume. They were terrors. Uh, she had absolutely no control over them. Uh, they would come to church and run around and scream and do all kinds of things. And she was, she'd say, now, don't do that, and... And, uh, and it would continue as if she had said nothing. Um, and she came to our house and she, she said, I, will, I came to church and I saw your family and I saw other people's families. And she says, I want my children to be like your children. They love to come to church. I can see it in them. I see they enjoy it. And I want that for my children. And so we began to talk and share with her and uh, first of all, just to find out if, if, if she was truly a Christian uh, and began to share the Lord with her. And uh, then after that, um, she said, well, what do I do with my children? I mean, she was very much aware that her children were terrors. And, you know, I'm not a counselor, never have been. But I can show her a book, and I got out James Dobson's book, uh, Dare to Discipline. And it's in French. And uh, so... I, I showed it to her, and I told her about it, and I, I warned her, because I know in French society that is a very controversial book, uh, and it's becoming more so in our society as well. But uh, I said, now, give this a chance. Read it, talk about it, and then I, I talked about some of the principles in, in the book. Well, she, when she first read it, she was angry. She said, "How you know, you're going to beat your children? You know, uh, you're going to, you know, 
uh, th- there was no concept of loving discipline, uh, and, and it, it was looked upon as violence and so forth. And, um, and so, um, anyway, I said, well, I, I really, you know, we, we tried to follow these as best we knew how, and, and that's, we feel like it, it has been beneficial to our children. And so, she, finally, she, she decided, well, I'll, I'll try it. Almost overnight, there was a difference. You would not have believed how fast her children changed. You know, they were two years and four years old at the time. And within a week or two, there was such a difference, her husband said, I want to come to church too. (laughs) That whole family is Christian today. God's name will be great among the nations. And one of the ways his name becomes great is by seeing examples of what changes God can make in our lives. Well, another thing in this passage is is material possessions. In the very first chapter, in 13 and 14, it's talking about giving sacrifices to the Lord of uh, animals that have... uh, that are lame or blind or have some default with them. And really what we're looking at here is an economic issue. You know, we don't uh, un- have a difficulty understanding it because we don't do sacrifices today. Jesus was the final sacrifice. There's no need for any more animal sacrifices. But in that day, you know, it was, it was dishonorable to give a blemished animal. And so it's like... the. It was another hypocrisy. It's, it's as if you don't have any good animals, so you give God the worst, what you can get the least money for. So it, it was an economic issue. Give God the, 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 the animal that you can't really sell, uh, so you can just give it to God. Uh, in, in Zaire, we kind of had that. There were, uh, the, the money was used and never replaced, and sometimes it would be tattered and so forth. And when it got to a certain stage... You couldn't buy anything with it, so why not put it in the offering? Right? Sacrifices. Tithes and offering are in here. You know, I don't, I'm not going to preach on tithes and offering. I'll leave that to your pastors. I might not have the same opinion, and then I'd be in trouble. Concern for the poor. Listen to uh, chapter 3 and verse 5. Uh, if I find it here. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Our concern for the poor is an image of Christ. If we are concerned for the poor, God's name will be great among the nations. Well, I could go on. There are other examples in here, but I want to get to something else. The book of Malachi mostly talks about our ethical lives. It, God's name will be great among the nations. Basically, he, he's saying, because I'm going to judge. I'm going to filter out what's not right. And then you're going to be able to make a distinction again. You're going to see the difference between right and wrong, between the righteous and the wicked. 
between those who serve God and those who do not. That's the basic message of the book. But as I look at it from a New Testament perspective, I see that's not the only way that God's name will be great among the nations. Uh, there, There is a second thing. I gave you two testimonies earlier. The first testimony was of a woman who came to Christ through the witness of her Christian relative. The second testimony uh, was of someone who came to Christ, another woman, because of the exercise of prophetic gifts. And this is something we see in the New Testament. It's hinted at in Malachi. Uh, Malachi prophesies that this is going to happen, that he's going to send his messenger. It it also says, uh, you know, it it gives prophecy concerning the future. And when there's, there's, there's prophecy and that does come to pass, then that is another way in which God's reputation is increased. And we see this in the New Testament. When Jesus comes and heals the sick, delivers the demon-possessed, and his disciples do the same thing. Uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, we, we see this over and over again as the disciples uh, exercise some of the prophetic gifts, and then the people see that, crowds gather, and they preach to them, and there's people who come to Christ. Uh, chapter 2, the disciples are speaking in known tongues, in known languages. The people there are amazed. What's going on? And so they come running up to him, and, and Peter said, well, this is just what uh, the prophet Joel said would happen. And, and then he uh, preaches to them, and 3,000 people come to Christ. Chapter 3 and 4, they come across a crippled beggar. And he's begging, and, and they, they're moved by the Spirit and said, you know, we don't have any gold and silver, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the beggar gets up and goes running and walking and leaping and praising God. And there's a crowd that gathers, and they're able to preach to them, and more come to Christ. There's bold preaching in spite of persecution. God also uses prophetic revelations. Uh, uh, you have uh, Philip, who's uh, having a good... Uh, uh, evangelistic crusade and all, I'm not supposed to use that word anymore, sorry, meetings. <laughs> and all of a sudden God tells him, okay, go to the desert and so forth. And he comes across somebody else and uh, go up to him. And, and it just so happens, coincidence, no, God is leading through his spirit and directing. I, I had an instance like that in France one time. I was... Uh, we, we had these events, and we had a dramatic presentation of the gospel, and people would come in and, and just read, but in a dramatic way. These kind of people that can do that, that, you know, when they're reading, and it comes alive. And uh, we had a woman come there, and she shared with me afterwards and so forth, and I, I could tell there was hunger there, and, and she was telling me where she worked and so forth, and then I, I didn't see her for several weeks, and at one point, I began, I was praying, and the Lord brought this woman to my mind, Claudine. And I just had this strong impression I needed to go talk with Claudine. And I, I couldn't remember her name, you know. And I couldn't remember what she looked like. Uh, the only thing I could remember was where she worked. And she worked uh, finding jobs for the jobless. 
it was a kind of a, um, an association in France to help jobless people find jobs. And uh, so I went there. I, I, I put it off for days. I, I said, how am I going to do this? I don't remember her name. You know, how am I going to find her and talk with her? And I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. Uh, but the impression that God laid on my heart wouldn't go away. So I show up, I go into the office, and I said, I need to talk to this lady who came to a meeting and when we had this several weeks ago. And so, of course, they say, well, what's her name? <laughs> I said, I don't remember. Well, what's she look like? <laughs> I don't remember. You, you feel kind of foolish, you know, doing these kind of things. I mean, this is, this is not some society where they forgive you easily, you know. This is a society that uh, they, you know, they want everything, you know. They don't want to be bothered with you unless you've got something important to say. And um, finally, they, they usher me in. They said, maybe, is it, could it be Claudine? And I said, they, yeah, that sounds right, maybe, you know. And so, well, she's got someone in there right now, and... Well, anyway, when she came out, it was her. And I, I recognized her, and I said, yes. And, uh, and so she uh, took me into her office, and she said, I'm so, so glad you came. I really needed someone to talk with. This morning, I had a fight with my 16-year-old daughter, and she left home. And God brought me there. I mean, it took, he knew how long it would take for me to work through my fears and get there. And he brought me there at the exact time she needed someone. Her and her husband are now in the church as well. God's name will be great among the nations. We can be a part of that if we'll listen and obey. I got to thinking about this. Now, what is Satan's strategy in all this? How many of you have read screw tape letters? A lot of you. In this book by C.S. Lewis, the demons talk to each other to try to determine how are we going to mess up these Christians? You know, how are we going to defeat God's purposes in the world? And they come up with all these solutions, you know, and some of them are good solutions, others, you know, and, and the very best solutions are the subtle ones. You know, it's not the huge things, it's the subtle ones. And I think some of his best tactics are subtle ones. Subtle ones. If God wants to make his name great among the nations by having his witnesses be representatives of his character, what's a very simple way of destroying that witness? Well, you say, make them fall, right? That's actually pretty hard. It's harder to make people fall. It's much easier to create nominal Christians. How many Christians are there in the world? Got any idea? I know some of you are thinking, well, that depends on what you're talking about. Right? If you look at the statistics, one in every three people in the world are Christians or at least who call themselves Christians, who go by the name of Christian. But you and I both know that in this world, 
not one in every three people are Christians. What percentage would you say of those one in every three actually try to follow what Jesus Christ teaches in these pages? Tries. I don't say we succeed. Tries. It'd be very, very small. But when the world hears the term Christian, they don't look at that little small percentage of people. They look at the one in three. And believe me, God's name has been profaned. Even if you look in the United States, I read these things on the polls. People talk about what people believe and do and so forth. And and it's just like what Malachi said. No distinction between... uh, those who call themselves Christian, and those who do not. The polls seem to put us all in the same category. I know the reality of it is not such. If you, if you add it to those statistics that they go regularly to church, they pray and read their Bibles, and are sincerely trying to follow Christ, I know there would be a distinction. But for the world, when they hear the term Christian, they're not impressed. Because God's name has been profaned. Uh, Part of it we've added to the problem. We as evangelicals, we've added to this problem. Because time and time again, we've preached a gospel without repentance. We've tried to make it so simple and so easy with this idea of gospel of grace. And I believe tremendously in grace. There's not a thing that you or I can do to merit our salvation. But how can people have a new life if they still want to live their old one? If they're wanting to live their old one and they pray a prayer, that's not going to change a thing. Repentance is the only, the only condition God gave. And basically all that means is, yeah, I want to follow Christ now. If, if they change their mind, if they change the, the, their disposition and say, I no longer want to fo- do what I want to do, but I want to follow Christ, that is repentance and conversion takes place. But we've made it to where they can bypass that. Us as evangelicals. I know uh, Chuck Farah uh, used to preach on this a lot. You know, We've made it so they can bypass it. Well, if you'll just pray this prayer everything will be hunky-dory. Or if you'll come forward in this meeting and we count the numbers. I helped plant a church with some people, and they, they, they love to do this, you know. And, and we had between three and 500, I can't remember exactly, people that have supposedly came to Christ in this church plant. And I would say the number would be more like between five and ten who actually came to Christ. But more than 300 prayed this prayer. We've helped create the profaning of Christ's name by not giving the whole gospel, by not giving the whole picture. Well, what does he do about prophetic acts? You know, the woman in the beginning, they had the dreams and the vision and the healing. 
What does the devil do about that? I came to Christ through a healing, a miraculous healing. Uh, some of you met Rob Mitchell, who, was, who came uh, Wednesday and Friday there, and his, his, his miraculous healing was what brought me to Christ. And um, so what does the devil do there? I believe he comes up with some nominal prophetic acts. One of the things, I think, is he makes people satisfied with uh, the least credible gift. That's the gift of tongues. Unknown tongues. Now, if he gives us the gift of known tongues and we start speaking in a tongue that, the, that we don't know, then that is pretty powerful. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. I'm not trying to speak against speaking in tongues, but because in a lot of Pentecostal charismatic circles, we've made that the sign. I'm not saying you've done that. But because of that, people say, okay, well, I speak in tongues. I'm, all, I'm okay now. I've, you know, I've got the spirit. I'm all right. And it's actually the least credible, the least convincing of all the sign gifts in there. Because who's to say? You know, if I'm speaking in tongues here, that even Paul said, someone comes into your group and they see, you know, everybody's speaking in tongues, they'll say, you know, what's going on here? Well, um, if, we just, if we're just satisfied with that, got a long ways to go. Healing. There, is, there was no denying Rob's healing. The doctors had to agree with it. The x-rays proved it. There was no denying it. But what, let's just say we can tell people that they're healed even though all the symptoms say they are not. There's a lot of that. You know, or um, I believe, you know, most of the time God heals us uh, through our own bodies. He's the one that cre- created us with bodies that heal themselves. Now, uh, let me, the, you know, scientists have got a long way to go before they can come up with that one. Um, bodies that heal themselves and doctors that come along and give some help so that the bodies can heal themselves. Well, let's get credit, give credit where credit is due, okay? We can thank God that he's given people wisdom, scientific knowledge that they can help our bodies heal themselves. We can thank God for that. But let's also continue to look for God, to go beyond that. And I know you do this. I'm preaching to the choir. I like to do that because then you agree with me and you don't try to throw me out or anything. <laughs> Go beyond that and see what God does to make his name great among the nations. The thing is, so many people talk about healing in such a way that the skeptics can look at it and say, gosh, he said he was healed, and obviously he's not, and, and uh, they say they're healed, and, you know, so, so ridiculous, and... How, who's to say that they're healed? You know, they said they were sick, but I didn't see anything. You know, the skeptics have plenty of ammunition. And we're the ones giving it to them. I'm not saying you, me, I, we Christians. 
were they giving them the ammunitions? Prophecy. Uh, I believe strongly in prophecy. I've, I've been prophesied over. I, I, it's been very rare that I actually give a prophecy. Sometimes I think God is using me in a, as a prophetic voice in my teaching. Sometimes he doesn't, and I don't know it. Good thing, I'd probably get a big head. Um, if, um, but, but we have this thing among charismatic circles where we're expecting God to give us a message all the time and so forth, and I, I, and I have a feeling, and there's no way I can judge particularly, but I have a feeling there's a lot of what I would call, um, uh, I can't think of the name, Fortune cookie prophecies. You know what a fortune cookie prophecy is? You, you open up the fortune cookie, you read it, and it's, it's something that could apply to anybody. And we have a lot of fortune cookie prophecies, you know, that, that are out there, and I've, 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 I've heard them a dime a dozen. You know, I'm not saying they're not from God. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but who's to say they're from God or, or not? Let's hear God. Let's wait to hear God. And I, I hesitate to say things like that because then people are thinking, well, did I really hear from God? You know what I mean? And I know you have controls and, and, and people who weigh words of prophecy and so forth here, and, and uh, you're, you're working at that. But what I'm just trying to say here is just because we have prophecy, for the non-Christian they don't see it that way because there's so much out there that's, that's just, just fluff. What can we do about it? For one thing, I say if God doesn't manifest its, his power supernaturally, for God's sake, and I mean that literally, for God's sake, don't try to produce a miracle yourself. We need to live Christ, authentic Christian lives in both our behavior and our words. We need to preach repentance. We, as we evangelize, we need to reach out in such a way that people realize that God is expecting them to change. He's going to do all the work. He's going to provide all the, the power for that change. But he's not going to give us a new life if we don't want a new life, if we want the old one. We need to seek God for genuine prophetic proof of his existence and his power in our lives and continue to seek him for that. Oftentimes we just, we, we just, we're not even waiting for it. We're not expecting it. We're not seeking it because, well, I'm saved now. I came to, to God through a miracle. You know, what do I need another one for? And we need to take the proof to the nations. They've got to see it firsthand, up, up close and personal. And when I say the nations, I don't just mean overseas. I mean here as well. The proof needs to be taken to them, both in our lives and in the prophetic acts that we exercise. Because they're not going to hear about it and believe it. They're going to hear about it and be skeptical. It's only when they see it that it's going to have an impact. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I believe there's a very, very close connection between God's desire to do the miraculous and our efforts to proclaim his word, to reach out. If you'll study the number of instances in the New Testament of when God broke out in the miraculous and did things, the majority of those instances that are actually recorded were in the midst of evangelism, in the midst of reaching out to others. And the majority of our prayers in the church are for ourselves and for our relatives and for, you know, we'll, we'll pray for cousin so-and-so and, and everything, and those are all good. But it takes more faith, more stepping out and being vulnerable to pray for those who are outside the church. You know, they're, you know, I tell our, our people when we, when we plant churches, I say, you know, share the gospel, then ask for prayer requests, and pray for them right then, if, they'll, if, they'll, if they want you to. And I'll close with one story. I'm, I can't remember whether I told this story before or not. If I did, you'll forgive me. Our students were planning a church in PC, and they, uh, I, I had told them this, and, and, and they were more than willing to do it, that they needed to ask for prayer requests whenever they shared the gospel. And they went door to door sharing the gospel, and they came to Pascal and Elizabeth's house. And they shared the gospel with them, and then they said, do you have any prayer requests? And Pascal said, yeah, I'm, I've been out of work for a long time, and I need, I need work. I need to feed my family. Could you pray that I'll be able to get a job? And uh, Elizabeth, my wife, she, uh, she's got some, something wrong with her feet. Her feet hurt so badly, she, she can't hardly walk. Uh, could you pray for her feet? So they did. They prayed for Pascal and Elizabeth. The next day, Elizabeth had no more pain in her feet. That week, Pascal got a job. The next Sunday, Pascal and Elizabeth were in church. And today, he is what you would call a greeter in the church because his smile won't quit. It goes from ear to ear. (laughs) God has done something in his life. God's name will be great among the nations. We can be a part of it. You are a part of it. Praise God.